Hi everyone, this is Brant Van Rokel, lead pastor of Christ City Kitsilano, and I want to let you know about a couple of things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us at 5th Avenue Cinema on Burrard Street at 9.30 a.m. We meet every Sunday morning for worship, word, and sacrament, and we'd love for you to join us there. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church Kitsilano is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to hear more about what God has called us to here in Kitsilano, then please reach out to me at brant at christcitychurch.ca or you can visit christcitychurch.ca slash Kitsilano. Today we're going to read from the book of Exodus, chapter 6, verses 2 to 30. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. These are the heads of their father's houses, the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi. These are the clans of Reuben, the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jachin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. These are the clans of Simeon. These are the names of the son of Levi, according to their generations. Gershon, Kohath, and Merari, the years of the life of Levi being 137 years. The sons of Gershon, Libni, and Shimei by their clans. The sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, the years of the life of Kohath being 133 years. The sons of Merari, Mali, and Mushi, these are the clans of the Levites according to their generations. Amram took as his wife, Jacobed, his father's sister, and she bore him Aaron and Moses, the years of the life of Amram being 137 years. The sons of Izhar, Korah, Nepheg, and Zikri. The sons of Uzael, Mishael, Elzapham, and Sithri. Aaron took as his wife, Elisheba, the daughter of Aminadab and the sister of Nashon, and she bore him Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ethamar, the sons of Korah, Azir, Elkanah, and Abiasaph. These are the clans of the Korahites. 
Eleazar, Aaron's son, took as his wife one of the daughters of Putiel, and she bore him Phineas. These are the heads of the father's houses of the Levites by their clans. These are the Aaron and Moses, to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people from, of Israel from Egypt, this Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In case you didn't know, that's Heather, my wife, and um, we're not fighting this morning. This wasn't a punishment that she has to, or to get back at her some some way to, to read this long list of names. Um, uh, I think it is the first time she's read scripture here, but she got a doozy. Thanks, babe. Um, I'll invite you to uh, to turn uh, to the Lord in prayer with me as begin as we begin. Because uh, as always, um, when we come to the Bible, we come. Uh, to his word for us, but we come uh, wisely petitioning him and seeking his help that we would understand his word, that he'd speak to us. So let's pray to him now. God, would you work in our hearts through this passage? <clears throat> would you help us to see wonderful things in your word by the power of your spirit? And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our faith, that you would cause us to grow, to trust that you are the Lord. And all that that means, that we would grow in our faith, especially in our discouragement and in our struggles and in our sufferings, that we would turn to you and trust you are the Lord. You are trustworthy. We can trust you. Father, I pray that you would bless us now in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, last week we looked at... I might need some water. There's some water next to me, uh, next to, the, to where I was sitting, Heather thinks. <clears throat> it's better. Uh, sorry, thanks for bearing with me. Um, last week, we looked at what happened uh, to Moses and Aaron and the people when they stepped forward in obedience to God. And entered the conflict with Pharaoh. And if you remember from last week, if you were here in chapter 5, what happened was that they were opposed. They entered the ring in this conflict of God. And they suffered as they stepped forward in obedience. And it was so bad that chapter 5 ended actually with Moses lamenting to God and saying these words. He said, for since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, He has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. And a flat moment of lament and crying out to God. And at the end of chapter 5, I think what that tells us is that here in the mission that God's given Moses, Moses actually doesn't want to take another step. Doesn't want to go on. He's discouraged. But we find in chapter 6 is that ours is a tender and a loving God. A God who who meets us in our suffering and our discouragement when we lack the faith to keep going in obedience and following him. He meets us and he encourages us and he moves us forward. 
And in chapter six, we see how he did that. How did he do it? By meeting Moses again with a revelation of himself. See, in Moses' discouragement and the people's suffering, when all they want to do is give up and stop believing and stop obeying, God reminds them one thing in several different ways. I am Yahweh. I am Yahweh. It's so helpful for us to see that in this passage because I think for us in our own lives, we also often want to give up and stop moving forward in obedience to God when we face suffering. Especially when we encounter suffering in our lives like we looked at last week, that's because we're following Jesus. We want to pull back and it's, it's painful, it's hard. God, I, I want to no longer follow you. I'm not so sure. But the answer we see in chapter six to our suffering is not to turn away from God. It's actually to turn toward him more deeply. Remembering that he is Yahweh, that he has always been faithful, that his promises are trustworthy and that he is worthy of our obedience. So we're going to see that in in three different ways in this text as God responds to people's suffering, to encourage them, to move them on and to move them forward in three different ways. He's going to say, I am Yahweh and I've always been faithful. Point number one, I am Yahweh and I will deliver you as I promised. That's point number two. And I am Yahweh and I am the one who now commands your obedience. That's point number three. So see the way that God moves them forward in their obedience and trusting in him by pointing to himself. And we'll start first by looking at the way God speaks to Moses saying, I am Yahweh and I have always been faithful. So we'll jump in. And right away, I want you to see, um, and you can recall it, we just read it, um, that in chapter six, something interesting happens. <clears throat> God meets Moses and Aaron in their discouragement and their suffering. And he says five times in this passage, I am the Lord. And capital L-O-R-D, if you're not familiar is the way that in English, we translate this Hebrew word, Yahweh. I am Yahweh, the, the God who reveals myself in covenant to my people. He says that in verse 2, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, and verse 29. I am Yahweh. It's significant. It's actually the highest concentration in the book of Exodus, and I think maybe even in the Torah, where in a single passage, God speaks to someone saying, I am am the Lord. Again and again, I am the Lord. And it's significant because it shows us that the solution to the discouragement of Israel, to Moses wanting to stop moving forward. It's too hard, God. I don't know. The solution is to know who God is. The solution is to know I am Yahweh. To turn again to God in faith in who he is. So he says, I am Yahweh over and over again. But what does I am Yahweh mean? Well, first it means, as we are just saying here, looking at our first point, that God is a God who has always been faithful to his promises. Look at verses two to five with me. There we read this. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. What does he say? And I've done a bunch of stuff. Because I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. 
but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel who the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Who am I? I'm someone who in all these ways am faithful and has always been faithful. See, God says, I am Yahweh. I am the God who revealed myself to the patriarchs 600 years before this moment, Moses. A long time ago. And verse 3 is interesting. But by my name, the Lord, Yahweh, I did not make myself known to them. This is an interesting verse. There's actually a conflict with this verse because a lot of commentators will talk and wrestle with it. What does it mean? What does this mean? By my name, the Lord, I did not reveal myself to them. Especially when we go back and read Genesis. And if you read Genesis carefully in Hebrew, you'll see that there are 126 references to God as Yahweh in Genesis. So Exodus is after Genesis. And here he says, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. What's God saying? What's God saying? Well, I think that he's not saying that he never was known by the name Yahweh in the Old Testament. I don't think that's what it means. And there's a whole bunch of reasons because obviously Genesis has those 126 references, but, but also in those references are passages that say, at this time, people began to call on God as Yahweh. At this time, Abraham began to call on God as Yahweh. Very clear indications that Yahweh's name was known in the book of Genesis. So what does verse 3 mean then when he says that he's not revealed himself as Yahweh? What I think is going on is this. Um, If you are aware, I think you guys know this, names are more significant than the spelling of the name or the sound of the name. Right? They mean a lot more than just the sounds of the words on our mouths and in our ears. So when I say particular names to you, names that you'd be familiar with, uh, you will have, for some names, a really positive response because you know somebody by that name. And you know the catalog of all of their acts in your life and who they are and their proven character. You're like, man, that's a, that's a wonderful person. You know what? I'm going to name my, my dog or my child after that person. That's a good name. There are other names that I could bring up and you're like, oh my goodness, I knew someone like that back in high school, right? And you're like, that's not a good name for me because <laughs> I associate that name with this person and all that they have done. I think something similar is going on here. I think God isn't saying that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't know that God's name was Yahweh. I don't think he's saying that. I think what he's saying is that the patriarchs only knew part of what God's name meant. They knew Yahweh was a God who made promises. They knew him as God Almighty who makes promises. They did not yet know that he was God Almighty, Yahweh, who keeps his promises. They hadn't experienced that yet. A lot of time actually had to pass for that revelation of God to be made known to his people. Generations had to go by before they could see the faithfulness of Yahweh as a God who keeps promises. So look back again at verses 2b to 3. I am Yahweh. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. You see, there's, there's new things about what it means to know Yahweh that only this generation is going to begin to comprehend. 
The patriarchs knew he was God Almighty, but it would be the Israelites and Moses who lived at this unique moment where they would experience God fulfilling his promises, keeping his covenant. And actually, that's why I think in the next verses, Yahweh says to Moses in verses four to five, I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of my people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. So that first line, I have established my covenant with them. I want to just focus on that for a second. This is going to get a little bit technical, but bear with me. I hope it will be of value. Um, There are two phrases that God uses in the Bible for making covenants. And in Hebrew, they are um, karath barith or hakim barith. Karath barith means to cut a covenant or to make a covenant. And hakim barith means to uphold a covenant, to cause a covenant to stand is a really literal translation. Here in this passage, God's saying, I have caused my covenant to stand. It's translated, I've established my covenant. But we could say, I have upheld my covenant. He's saying, I am the God, Yahweh, who made promises a long time ago to the patriarchs, but I have actually been faithful to uphold these promises all the while through every subsequent generation, all the way up to this moment. I haven't forgotten. I haven't forgotten. I've always remembered. I know my people's suffering, and now I have not abandoned that covenant. I have upheld it, and right now, in this moment, I am about to fulfill it. That means that Moses and the slaves in Egypt would come to know what I am Yahweh means in a far fuller and more significant way than their forefathers knew who he was. You understand if you're bearing with me, we're, we're going, we're, we're together so far, more or less. Okay, we're good. Okay, the genealogy, I think, in this passage is a good illustration of this. Because each generation knew the name of God, Yahweh. I think we established that. But did the first people in the genealogy know Yahweh like Moses would know Yahweh? Did the first people in the genealogy know Yahweh like Phineas, the last name in the genealogy, the one who is a priest, the grandson of Aaron, the one who would serve God as a priest in the promised land, they know Yahweh like Phineas would know Yahweh. Then the answer has to be no. To Christ, the name Yahweh is like a mighty history of his mighty acts. It's like a long catalog of the fulfillment of his promises. And those who know him after great periods where he has worked and fulfilled his promises, those people who live after those points in history will know him in a greater way than those who came before. Moses came to know Yahweh more than the patriarchs. The prophets knew Yahweh better than Moses. And guess what? We know Yahweh better than Isaiah or any of the prophets did or Moses, the patriarchs before them. And we know that because God has continued through each generation, through the whole of his scripture, Fulfilling his promises. He's continued to fulfill his promises by faithfully upholding his covenant and showing us that most fully and completely when he entered this world as our savior, Jesus Christ. When he fulfilled his promise to save us, to deal with our sins and our rebellion, to go to the cross and die as our obedience deserved in our place, to be raised 
from death for our salvation is our deliverer from Satan and sin and death. See, we know Yahweh most fully. So we stand in a much later time in history and see all the fulfillment of God's promises. But actually, I love something that's going on in the genealogy, though. I think it's a useful thing to look at these old genealogies, to see God's faithfulness through every generation. Because it reminds us, we need to know this in our lives, it reminds us that Yahweh's name is long and our lives are short. His name is very long and our lives are short. A nerdy illustration of this, by the way, if you have read J.R.R. Tolkien's uh, The Lord of the Rings, is Treebeard. This character in Treebeard who's, who's got a very, he's very, very old in the book. And because he's old, he has a very, very, very long name. Because his name functions as a catalog of how he's acted in history. And it's so important for us to remember that Yahweh's name is long. Our lives are short. But if Yahweh, the Lord, if he is our God, then our lives are actually still a significant part of the story. Of his story. But we can trust him in our suffering. We can move on in our suffering when we remember that he has always been faithful. His name grows in length over time, remembering all that he's done as we go confident that we can trust him and we can keep going, remembering his past faithfulness. So the first step to endure suffering, well, remember the name of the Lord. Remember that he has always been faithful. But there's a next step. The next step to enduring faithfulness and to enduring suffering and in faith and in obedience is to know that he is Yahweh. He is the Lord who will deliver us as he has promised. Look at our next point in the way that God speaks to Moses in verses six to nine. He says, say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And I will deliver you from slavery to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. And I will be your God. And you shall know that I am Yahweh, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am Yahweh. I've made promises. I've upheld them up to this point point in time. And I will continue to be faithful to all my promises. So listen to the logic here. It's a very tight logic actually in this passage. Because verse 6, it begins with the word, therefore. So he's saying what came before. Now he's making a conclusion. This is because I am Yahweh who, in verse 3, revealed myself to the forefathers. In verse 4, upheld my covenant. In verse 5, has heard the groaning of my people. In verse 5, who has remembered my covenant. Therefore, tell the people of Israel that I am Yahweh who promises, I will bring you out. I will redeem you. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And I will bring you into the land. And I will give it to you for a possession. See, what God wants for this people in their suffering is to know his past faithfulness as the reason that they can trust his future promises. Remember all that I have done. 
so that you will trust all that I promise that I will do. I am Yahweh and I will be faithful. I think God wants to encourage us, Christ City, in our own lives and in our own suffering the same way. When you're laid low, when you want to give up, when you feel so full of shame or guilt or or suffering in in your lives as followers of Jesus, um, when you can't see a way through the situation, the circumstance that that you're in, God wants you to know this. He wants you to know that true and certain hope is found only one place in the world. You know where that is? It's in the promises of Yahweh. It's the only place where true and certain hope is found. It's in the promises of Yahweh. And just think about this. The Bible, the Bible when when Moses spoke to the people of Israel, when God was speaking to Moses here, it was a very small book. There wasn't anything written yet. There was a a memory and a history of, of God's words. And yet he still called them to remember his past faithfulness so they'd have hope in what he was about to do. Today, we have a much bigger book. We have the whole history of God's faithfully fulfilled promises. And guess what? All these promises that he just made that we just read in these verses, keep reading in the book of Exodus. He fulfills them. He is faithful to all his promises. But we have a much greater reason to keep trusting what God will do than even they did. Because he doesn't speak to us and say, hey guys, remember I promised to the patriarchs? I will deliver you from Egypt. He speaks to us and says, remember my son. Remember his work. Remember it is finished. Remember Jesus has died. Jesus was buried. Jesus was raised. Jesus has ascended. Jesus has poured out his spirit. Therefore, know for certain that Yahweh's promises to us are true. Hear my promises in scripture and believe them. I will intercede for you in your sufferings with groanings too deep for words, but the presence of my Holy Spirit. Romans 8 verse 26. I will intercede for you in heaven as your resurrected Savior and high priest. Romans 8, 34. I will never leave you or forsake you. Hebrews 13, verse 5. I am with you to the end of the age. Matthew 8, verse 20, 28, verse 20. I will build my church. Matthew 16, verse 18. I will day by day put your sin to death and make you more like Jesus because the will of God is your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3. I will do far more abundantly than all that you ask or imagine. Ephesians 3.20 I will give you an inheritance that is undefiled, unfading, that is kept in heaven for you. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 4 And I will guard you and I will keep you safe through all of your struggles until the day that you are with me forever. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 5 And on that day, I will give you a weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Your sufferings won't even be worth comparing to the glory that I will give you. 2 Corinthians 4.17 A glory where death and sin and suffering will be conquered forever. Where I, Yahweh, will be your God. Where you will be my people. And I myself will wipe the tears from your eyes. Revelation 21.1-5 
You see how God meets us in our sufferings. He says, I am Yahweh. I have always been faithful. And I will continue to fulfill my promises that I've made to you. Have hope and take courage. And yet we can look in the next verse, verse 9, at just how low the people had fallen in this passage. Verse 9 says that Moses spoke thus to the people of Israel, but they did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and their harsh slavery. There are times in our lives when the suffering is so great and it's almost just beyond us to reach out and to hear and to listen and to believe the promises of God. And these Israelites are so broken in spirit, they're so beaten down by harsh slavery, they can't even pull themselves together to listen to Moses. But does God leave them? Does God abandon them in their failure to to turn to him in trust? No, we know the story. He's faithful to the Israelites. And that's good news for us in our own suffering. Because Israel's broken spirit, it helps us to understand more fully in yet another way who Yahweh is. Because he's Yahweh who is Savior because of who he is and because of what he has promised, period. He had set his love on these slaves in Egypt long before they were born. He did it when he made promises to Abraham, their ancestor. And now he is fulfilling that promise, not because their faith is strong enough, but because of who he is. Because he is Yahweh. And Jesus Christ, Yahweh who's revealed himself in this person, the person of Jesus, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that Yahweh our God is our Savior too. And he's our Savior not because we've been faithful enough to receive his salvation. He is Savior because he is faithful to his promise. He is the God who made a covenant promise to save a sinful and broken people. And because of his love and his promise, he has called us to himself, Christ City. He set his love on us. He's chosen us to be his beloved children. He saved us eternally and completely as an act of his grace and mercy. So when you struggle in your faith and you think, God can't save me. God won't save me. God can't forgive me. Don't look to yourself and the faith that you can muster up in your soul. Look to what he's promised to do. Look to Jesus, the one who died, who's risen and ascended. He is enough. He is Savior. He is Savior simply for who he is. Do you know how you can be sure that you are his? You are his, the Bible promises, if you have called on his name to be saved. If you've called on the name of Jesus, says, Jesus, would you meet me in my need and my brokenness and my lack of faith and all those things? Would you save me? The Bible says that he saves all who call on him. I'm going to read you a passage, Romans 10, 11 to 13. says this, everyone who believes in him, in Jesus, will not be put to shame. 
There's no distinction between Jew and Greek for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who have enough faith. No. And all who are strong enough. No. On all who make sure their lives are, are good enough for God to love them. No. It says on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on Yahweh will be saved. Trusting not in their sufficiency, trusting in him. So look to Yahweh if you're struggling. Remember how he's acted in the past. And trust him to save you fully and completely, exactly as he has promised, according to what he's already done for us in Jesus. And yet, this passage, it gives us another reason to press on in faith and obedience. We're going to look at it in our last point. The reason is that he is Yahweh, and that fact alone is enough for us to obey him. Look at verses 10 to 13 in our last point. So the Lord said to Moses, go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. So here's the the story. After the people don't listen to Moses, Yahweh commands Moses to tell Pharaoh again to let his people go. And Moses protests. He says, I don't know, God. And he uses a lesser to greater argument. If the people didn't believe me when I told you, when I told them that what you said, how will Pharaoh believe? He says, I am of uncircumcised lips. What that means is that his lips are unfit for speaking. We don't use that phrase very often today, sometimes on occasion. Uh, but not very often. And, uh, and what it means, what it meant back then was just that uh, my lips aren't fit for the job of speaking. And what that shows us is that Moses is still struggling with that same old struggle. He's still trusting not that God is Yahweh. He's trusting in his ability. He's still hung up on that. I'm not able to get this job done, God. But Yahweh responds in verse 13, and he doubles down on his command for obedience. He gives Moses and Aaron a charge Go to Pharaoh. Tell him what I told you to say to him. Then there's a genealogy we won't read again. And then after the genealogy, we read verses 28 to 30. And again, it repeats things that came before. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. I am Yahweh. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? See, at the end of the chapter, the fifth and the final time that God says, I am Yahweh, meeting Moses, meeting the people and their struggle, their suffering, not wanting to press on. He uses his name, not as a reminder of what he has done, not as a guarantee of what he will do, but as the reason that Moses must obey him. It's because I am Yahweh, Moses. And that's enough. Now go out and obey. Tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, all that I have said to you. See, last week, Christ City, we saw that when 
God told Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh, Moses said to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh. He used the authority of God to command, uh, to command Pharaoh's obedience. In this text, God uses his authority as Yahweh not to command his enemies' obedience, but to command his precious children's obedience. I am Yahweh. It's time for you to obey me. See, when we're struggling to move forward in faith and obedience, it is God's grace to remind us that he is Yahweh, that we must obey him. In fact, we can obey him, not trusting in ourselves, but simply putting our trust in him. As we've seen, Moses was still struggling to believe that obedience would work out And here in this passage, God doesn't answer all of Moses' questions, sit him down, just answer all the arguments, wrestle with him. Finally, he comes to the point, I am Yahweh, Moses. Obey me. I am enough. I am God in heaven. I have shown you that I've been faithful. I've promised that I will continue to be faithful. But now, I am Yahweh. Go. Tell Pharaoh what I have told you. See, up to the very end of the passage, Moses protests. Moses has doubts. Yet how gracious is God? He faithfully, faithfully and patiently calls Moses not to look to himself, but to look to him. And he moves him forward in obedience simply because he is Yahweh. Sometimes, Grace City, this is what we need. Sometimes in our Christian lives, when we have a lot of questions of God, God, I don't get it still. I don't understand. I don't know if it's good enough to trust you yet. I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if I can. I don't know if it's going to work out, God. I see what your word's saying, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes it's so important that we just come back to the scripture. Remember that he is Yahweh. And that's enough for us to obey him. He is Yahweh. He's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's shown us how much he loves us through the cross. And yet even Jesus Christ says, if you love me, you will obey what I command. He is Yahweh. And that's reason enough for us to obey him today. So Christ City, looking at this passage... You see, God doesn't give new things to Israel to help them out of their difficulty in having faith. He doesn't reveal new information, give them a different gospel, reveal new truths and give them different spiritual practices and a new journal and a retreat somewhere. He doesn't do those things. What he does to get them to move forward in obedience is by showing them yet again who he is. By calling them to trust more deeply that he is Yahweh. That he is faithful and has been faithful to every generation up until this point. That he has promised their deliverance and will certainly fulfill it. And that that is enough right now for them to go out and to obey him. So can I invite you to do the same? If you're struggling this morning. Remember what he's done. 
trust his promises, know that he is Yahweh, and take a step of obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is good. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you love us and are gracious and merciful to us. We also thank you that you are God and we are not. That you are creator, that we are creatures. And there is a refuge and a blessing and a joy in coming before you humbly and obediently. Would you help us to to take that step, trusting fully in Jesus as our Savior? Amen.